Hi, my name's Jacob Walke. I'm a mixed enterprise farmer in Albury, New South Wales, and you're listening to Ag Watchers Podcast. Easy, easy. This is the first, first podcast of 2024. It is, actually. You've just come back from overseas, Andrew, or you know, a week or so ago. Yep, came back, spent a month in the pouring rain of Scotland, and uh, came back to the pouring rain of Australia. <laughs> so... I learned a lot, obviously. Spent spent my time, you know, reflecting on the year. Spent my time reading books. Uh, when I say books, I mean menus and bars. And that was about it. Right. Oh, so Jacob, we'll we'll get we'll get into it in a bit. Uh, we'll do the sixth sense. So we'll mm-hmm. we'll do a word association with you. Uh, do you want to do that first, Matt? Yep. Oh, yep. Or should we do complaints, comments, and criticisms? Have we got Have we got any complaints? It's too early in the year for complaints, isn't it? Uh, well, well, I did get. Uh, oh, you would have got some feedback from our overseas listeners. I got Annie, feed- Ju- Annie Julie. I got some feedback from Auntie Julie whilst I was uh, over there. Uh, uh, I got a gift for us, Matt. Really, from Auntie Julie. Auntie Julie uh, bought us a dinner voucher for the two of us. Uh, to Romantic Steakhouse in Canberra. Does that, does that make Auntie Julie one of our sponsors on the podcast? Technically, technically, yes. So, <laughs> so anyway, that, that was the only one. Um, right, fair enough. Just the usual criticisms about uh, us interrupting each other, but yep. uh, that can't be helped. No. So we'll go into the uh, the Sixth Sense, and then yep. we'll, we'll get, Jacob will get you to introduce yourself properly. So we're going to throw six... Uh, words or statements at you and then you tell us the first thing that comes to mind anything you like and it's an explicit warning on this so you can be as sweary you know, as you of... want <laughs> and uh, just short answers uh, unlike Bob Catter whose answers short answers were four and a half minutes long yeah. uh, Matt you go first local butcher walkie butchery veganism also, the words veganism. Yep. Um, deficient. Um, black pudding. Blood. Small business in Australia. Struggling. Uh, f- farm to plate. Profitable. Crocs footwear. Comfortable. Okay, I reckon that's a uh, pretty. Well, reckon, certainly for the the Crocs reckon, was a pass. The black pudding just saying blood. I, I can understand the I'm, logic I'm, where that I'm, comes I, from. I, but... I, I do have to say that yeah. Jacob is the first one out of two hundred plus episodes who's actually managed to do it properly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's true. Well, sometimes we don't. Sometimes we don't even do it properly. No, right. Right. We, generally we don't. But but Jacob's the first one to actually answer every single one with one word. That's when true. you said veganism, I thought you were answering the butchery word association. I thought we're all playing together. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Well, that sounds like a good butchery. <laughs> we're, we're, we're the testers here. We're the, we're the psychological analysts. Um, but no, like it's because generally people tend to talk for, give longer answers. So that was yeah. good. You, you and usually, the usually, usually the response to black pudding is either. Something yeah. along the lines of delicious, which is what it should be, it should be, yeah. or or something along the lines of disgusting. I'm not, I've, Jacob. Obviously, with your background and you know what you do there on farm, plus right the way through to you know 
pr- providing the product as a butchered product, you, you're familiar with the process of black pudding. So you just went straight to the to the, the, te- the te- main product. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just I just spiraled down a um down a deep abyss of uh, regulation and compliance as soon as you said black pudding. <laughs> I've, got, you know, uh, I've, you, I've got I've got I've got trauma from that. Did you attempt to do black pudding? Do you, do you don't do black no, pudding product there, no? In our butchery, we do a little bit of cooked smoke, uh, small goods, just very simple stuff that we can buy off the shelf, preservative-free packet binders. You know, we do a, a chorizo, a cabana, uh, bacon ham. We make a few of the mixes ourselves, but I don't have access to the labour um, to do those things, and I don't have the headspace at the moment but to that, take it on myself. Let's let's move let's move back a step because we've sort of yeah, jumped because yeah, yeah. Matt yeah, yeah. You, you, Matt you jumped the gun there. Uh, I know it's <laughs> you I know it, already I, interrupting, and it's and Matt it's I know it's the first podcast of the year, and and you've had a break you've had a break for a month. But yeah, I'm not used to it. I'm, I'm out of I'm out of form. There's no excuse for a lack of professionalism. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. You know, and we have had training uh, in in podcasting. And and you're obviously failing every aspect of that. I know Kirsten the post will be, will be very annoyed at this. She will be fuming. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Jacob, tell tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, my family and I we live in Albury, New South Wales, here on um, you know, beautiful part of. Uh, actually, I don't live in Albury anymore. That's a lie. Uh, six weeks ago, we bought a farm up near Holbrook in a little town called Ramagama. Oh, oh, so we, we, we know Holbrook very well. Andrew was going to buy a, a, a property in Holbrook at one stage. I was. Uh, Great part of the world. You know, we've been I'm, trying I'm to st- get I'm still looking at market. it. Oh, well, go for it. Great part of the world. And uh, we're happy to be here. Yeah, so we live in Wamagama. Uh, we, we just moved up here. My wife and I were born in Albury. I've got three young children under six, Otto, Theodore, and Esmeralda. And we have a mixed enterprise farm doing beef, pork, chicken, lamb, and eggs, which is uh, spread across five properties and, you know, all lease blocks. So this this property that we just moved on to just before Christmas is the first time we farmed on ground that we own. Everything else is on lease nice. blocks. And in 2020, we purchased a local uh, butchery, like just an empty building that the butchery had been closed down and decommissioned and we renovated and opened it up because we realized that we outsourcing custom processing was expensive, hard, getting us nowhere, quality control issues, uh, misaligned values, or, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So we've been running that for three years now and yeah, having fun. We sort of got into farming because we're on a bit of a food journey. We, we, we're, we're a little bit crunchy. We're a bit woo-woo on all the special stuff and uh, found it hard to access that in the market. And I thought, how hard could it be? I'll just grow up myself. So, what, so, 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 so when you say so, sorry, so you, you're back. You you don't come from a farming family, or I took an interest in farming in 2019. You know, my grandpa, sort of the patriarch of the family, he's a German immigrant, came over uh, 65 years ago, and he was a tradesman. He did a little bit of share farming for butternut pumpkins and onions in South Australia, and he had a small piggery for a while. He used to work overtime as a tool maker and buy. Uh, pig pellets and come home and uh, feed his sows. But, you know, both of those sort of things only lasted a couple of years. And I think he finished his farming career when my father was five or six. Uh, then he moved to Albury. So my family's been involved in uh, bricks and mortar retail for 50 years. You know, we've had fast food, uh, like barbecue chicken stores. We, we imported basketball cards and um, Levi jeans. We've had record stores. I own a bicycle shop. I own a restaurant in town. So, 
you know, very, very immigrant mentality, bootstrap, you know, uphill both ways, work all the time. Yeah, lots of fun. I've had a very varied upbringing, but farming, my, my father had a hundred acre hobby block when I took an interested interest in 2019. And I said to dad, could I lease part of the farm off you and push these cows around and get some chooks and just to grow a bit of stuff for my wife and I, we just had our first child and we wanted to eat a bit healthier and that's where it all kicked off for us. So as you, you, cause you got the butcher shop as well and you do a lot of the butchering there. So is that, are you a butcher by profession or is that just something you picked up? Like what it's, no, it's quite I, an interesting skill set. You, you kind of, it sounds like you're doing it. You've got a finger in it, almost every pie going around the place. Yeah. Every now and then I get the butchers to take a photo of me, pretending i'm running a lamb through a bandsaw or something but i've got no idea what i'm doing i do it just to tick them off really <laughs> uh no i've you know i could go in there and i can dice some beef and um uh, and you know make some mince and stuff now but i i've always i guess tried not to be the tradesman in any of my businesses you know i hire bike mechanics i've got baristas i've got qualified chefs i've got a full-time bookkeeper i can't do any of their jobs uh, I'm just the glue that keeps the whole thing together. So I can't butcher and it's questionable whether I can even farm, but I've <laughs> hired good people and you know, the world goes around. So, so, so your restaurant's in Albury or? Yeah, it's, in, it's, it's a, it's a seven day a week breakfast, lunch, cafe inside the bicycle shop. Okay. Okay. I think and all of our produce goes through there. So eggs, pork, chicken, lamb, you know, all the protein on the menus from the farm. So what are when you say so what 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 are you kind of running in rough kind of numbers of all those different species there and you said it's across a, a number of different locations so does that mean that that's leased land but you own the livestock right that's right yeah I own all the livestock and all the infrastructure and uh, I just pick up little blocks you know every every year I need another hundred acres or a couple hundred acres to retain all my females and expand operations so uh, what have I got at the moment probably hundred and sixty head of cattle couple hundred sheep um i buy in wiener piglets and finish them off i don't breed sows last year i finished off about 350 pigs uh and last year i did fifteen thousand broilers meat chickens but i've yep i've kept yep. my chicken enterprise for this year I've, i'm putting my chickens on the back burner and i'm doubling down on my pigs you know all of yeah, our that's, that's a that's a good idea because you don't want to have all your eggs in one basket <laughs> <laughs> i'm still doing layers so it's interesting it's interesting to listen to you talking because it reminds me of Patton Park a little, a little bit, bit yeah a little bit yeah. so I don't know if you know are you aware of Patton Park no uh, you should go back to it podcasts ago three yeah podcasts two or ago? three two, two or three we had um, Jim on um, yep. so Patton Park are at Echuca and they were a couple of backpackers from the UK who Basically took over a shed. It was an old. Uh, it was an old disused dairy. I think it was. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and turned it into a butchery, oh. and now make pork pies, black pudding, haggis, all the British type food, and uh, really sort of this, exactly the same sort of bootstrap to you know sweat equity the whole way through, and fairly successful business, catering mm. catering to a very specific clientele of Matt and myself. Uh, <laughs> and and twenty percent of the podcast listeners who who like black pudding and haggis. Mm. So so tell tell me a, a little bit about it. So one of the things I, I saw on your mm. uh, on your Twitter was the vending machine in the in the butcheries in you in your in your butchery specifically. Uh, 
Yeah, when I, when we purchased the butchery, it was solely just to process our own body. So, you know, we outsourced custom kills to the couple of the local abattoirs and they deliver back to us. And it was just too hard trying to take a product direct to consumer using local butchers. You know, some butchers, they didn't pack things the way we wanted. None of the butchers had capacity. So we're having to spread bodies across multiple stores, which ruined timeliness and ruined consistency they all cut things slightly differently uh and it was and it was it was my biggest it was my single biggest expense was uh butchering fees so my wife and i thought well let's buy this butchery and do it ourselves and we never had any intention of opening up a storefront like i already run storefronts i didn't want to run another roster where i had to worry about Mm. someone opening and closing and balancing the tills and having keys and covering shifts and i ran the numbers and the that year 2020 which was really the first full calendar year of farming for us i knew that if i sold everything i produced which i normally do i was only going to be generating about 400 grand in revenue so you know how do you how do you stock a storefront and pay someone to stand their minimum wage for the year sixty thousand bucks to scan out 400 grand's worth of produce like it just didn't stack up and all that produce was already selling through all my different outlets wholesales to local organic supermarkets local restaurants and meat boxes direct to consumer I didn't have any more produce anyway, but I kept getting asked when the storefront was going to open. And one local small goods guys that I'm friends with, he said, "We are you opening the storefront? I said, never. It's just a boning room. We're just processing. And he said, you'll have it open by March. And I walked out of that. Sure, this is like end of the year, December or something. And I thought, you miserable mongrel, because now he's given me this challenge that I'm going to have it open <laughs> in March. And I couldn't, couldn't let go of it. And I was just sitting down one day and I thought to myself, it doesn't work because of wages. So if I could open it up without wages, it'd work. So I just developed this system where customers become members by doing a farm tour. I do, you know, open farms all the time. So people come along to a farm tour. Uh, they get to see what we do and, and hear my shtick. And then I give them a code so they can access the butchery uh, with a with a unique pin code, like you'd access a, a 24-hour gym or something like that. Sorry, you, you, you might have to you might have to explain that to Matt because Matt's never been to a gym. <laughs> I, I I do I do my home gym, Andrew. Mm-hmm. Love gym. It. I'm sure he's a lovely bloke. Yes, Jim's heaven. Jim 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 will Jim will fix it. That's a British reference here, but anyway, they got a code. They got a code to get in, right? They've got a unique code, so they access the building, and I know I've, I've got a time logged who's in and out because I've tied the code to their ID. Uh, there's 24-7 recorded surveillance in there, uh, which I can log on to on my phone and watch if I just so happen to want to. And I can actually talk to customers through our speakers on the wall, so every now and then I'll have a chit-chat with them if I see someone I know in there. Yeah. And, um, and then there's an app on their smartphone. So all my produce is frozen. I sell almost nothing fresh. Everything's Cryvac labeled, weight, and frozen. And the barcodes, they just scan it with the app on their phone and hit pay and it syncs up to their debit debit card or their Apple Pay or whatever they've got. And they let themselves out, you know, and everyone's everyone's worried about me for, for theft. And I've been doing this for three years now. You know, at the moment, we might be doing five, six grand a week through that self-service model. And I've had no shrinkage that I can I can find, you know, nothing that I've been noticing and I'm and I'm I'm saving that. 60 grand a year wage overhead and all the HR headache and liability that comes with it. You know, I, I'm not anti-jobs. I, I employ 40 people here on the border across my businesses, but I'd much rather pay people to be productive on the farm than pay people to stand behind a counter and 
you know, well, pick their nose and just change back. Well, that's the thing in, in the butcher shop. There's a, I'd imagine there's a lot of hours where there's not much yeah. cost. There's not like Christmas. Okay, you're going to be run off your feet and run up to that, run up to Easter, run up to any public holiday. But a lot of times there's going to be a lot of standing around because I worked in retail when I was a youngster. And I just remember there was a lot of time when I was stood there just chatting to the girl next to me. And, uh, but yeah, like it's wastage. But then again, what you're doing, like it sounds innovative, but it's not really, is it? Like it's it's no different to what Coles and Woolworths is doing, really. But yeah. You're, you're, but you're just a smaller business doing it. Which, yeah, exactly. Which is, which is probably where it's unusual. It's a it's a modern spin on the uh, the traditional farm gate with a little lockbox down by the fence yeah, post. True. Mm. And the, and the technology, like you're saying, I mean, the butchers open twenty four seven, right? Which is another benefit, I guess, isn't it? That if you, all of a sudden you realise you've run out of lamb chops at you know eight o'clock at night. Oh, I was, I was, of, actually, you know, I was actually going to say, Matt, when you're walking home from the pub. Three o'clock, yeah, yeah. three o'clock in the morning. So you know what? Yeah, yeah. I could do a few French cutlets, put them on. So, so like that. So you can just you can if you got the code. Like you obviously got to have the code in advance and be be on the on the books, so to speak. But once you're there and got that set up, then you can go in any time of the day or night and get what you need. And and you guys obviously keep it you know stocked full. Yeah, you know, and you know what's going in and out. If everything's being scanned, you can keep track of it that way. I guess. Yeah, it's open twenty four seven. Yeah, we can we can track the sales, who buys what. We can take that data and you know uh, pump it into our emailing list, so we can see people order a lot of beef sausages. And if we've got an overstock, we can direct market to them with an EDM offering a discount on a box sausage order. You know, it's 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 pretty simple. It just ticks along like you know. I, I don't. I set it up. It didn't cost much to set up, and it just ticks along in the background now. So it's a, it's a really interesting. Now the butchers. The, yeah, the butchers as as an outlet in terms of your kind of your business structure for the for the meat side of things across all the different species and products. The butchery, I presume, offers all the cuts of all the different animals. Um, but or as in, you know, the, the, you know, you've got all your all your produce going through there. But is that's not the only way you sell your product, is it? And, and what would be how much would go through the butchers versus what direct and online and other methods? Sure. So. The butchery is the only place where customers can buy specific cuts if they want a porterhouse and a pack of shortcut bacon. Uh, that's how they do it. Uh, we also do most of our trade through our website, which is mainly boxes, five kilo box, 10 kilo box, which which gives you a bit of a breakdown. You get a mixture of prime cuts and sausages and mince, uh, you know, whatever whatever the body yields. Uh, we are, as our volume increases and, and our uh, capacity, like our throughput increases, we are adding more and more cut options onto our website. Um, and then we also wholesale to uh, local restaurants and little organic supermarkets. So, you know, the, the supermarket restaurant and butchery sales, they're all growing, but they're not keeping pace with the website sales. So, you know, we're probably 75%, 70% of sales now because it's just, you know, we're, we're tapping into... 80% of Australia's population. So it's just much easier to scale those sales. Have you noticed, um, so then obviously you, with regards to, you know, you can you can get pretty much around the country. Are orders coming in reasonably local to where you are or are they from all over? All over. No, uh, Melbourne up to Brisbane, we service the East Coast. We were shipping a bit to Adelaide and Perth, but that, that freight run shut down over... Over the new year, so we've had to turn off those postcodes, but I ship a lot into Melbourne every week, uh, quite a bit into Sydney and all those lovely little yummy mummy Sunshine Coast, Gold Coast areas. You know, they they love it. <laughs> I send a lot of stuff up there. What, what, um, and so do you, 
do you market how, you market just online? Is that is that it, or how do you yeah. how do people I get troll, to know about? I troll vegans on Facebook. <laughs> Speaking of which, I did see on Twitter that you got a couple of reviews. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, Facebook monetized my account, so now I get paid when people get engaged. And I took a screenshot of that and I put it on my Facebook page, and I said, "Hey, everyone, don't feel bad for me when the vegans." campaign against me now because facebook pays me every time they do it and uh that just unleashed a can of worms and i got i got a heap of negative reviews like the vegan army came after me so i posted the bad reviews saying look at this this is a bit of fun and then all my customers got on so it's actually been fantastic for my um seo and web presence you know it has knocked my it's knocked my rating from five stars down to four and a half but it's taken me from 10 reviews to 100. The silver, the silver lining of vegan, vegan act, uh, you know, animal rights activity. Yeah, um, we can, you know, we can laugh at them and poke fun at them and 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 whatever else. But the reality is, is I probably wasn't far away from giving meat up myself of becoming, uh, you know, the message out there is is compelling and strong. You know, they're very organised and and they're well funded and they're appealing to people's uh empathy and, and compassion and when you see a, a video of a piggery or um you know like during covid the, the big piggeries in the us they couldn't put anything through production because the slaughterhouses stopped yep. you know their slaughterhouses do 1200 pigs an hour and when you shut that down for a month yeah, yeah. To go somewhere so they ran out of carbon dioxide to gas them so they just shut all the air vents and sweated them to death you know when you see that sort of stuff it's easy to become disenfranchised with um, meat consumption and that's why i'm so transparent about our pasture-based models like i don't leave any stone unturned and i show people you know i i believe we need meat to be um operating at our optimal health as a species and you don't have to just abuse the crap out of our landscapes and our animals to produce that meat there's actually a lovely symbiotic um human way to do this humane way to do this and that's having animals out on pasture you know I'm, I'm really passionate about it so i can understand where the vegans come from the way they go about it i think is pretty poor like it's pretty low iq you know generally like just character defamation and, and shame and guilt you know they don't bring a lot of logic to the arguments but i do see where they're coming from so you know if they come to my page to hang it on me and then see a couple of videos of you know my cows getting a scratch and, and my sheep getting led into a fresh pasture you know maybe we're we're making some inroads does what does your system what you're doing there what you described in terms of how you you know you're caring for animals and 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 the process you undertake i wouldn't call that necessarily the commercial process from a from a large kind of operation abattoir you know kind of scenario it seems like yours is a bit more bespoke i guess and um do you, do you think your system could translate to a really large scenario or is what you're doing by necessity have to be a tailored type bespoke operation. Look, I, I think the way that I run each enterprise could definitely scale. You know, I, uh, up until recently, I've, I would have called myself a regenerative farmer, and uh, somebody had a, had a crack. I, I was actually bagging out regenerative farmers on a blog post I did, and somebody come on come on and said, "Yeah, I agree with you, Jake. I don't think we should call them regenerative farmers. I think we should call them boutique farmers." And I think that's a great phrase. You know, because we're all it, it 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 it's fancy and it's special, but it's it's small and exclusive. You know, really, like there's not a whole lot done at scale. And when you when you're laying pigs over sheep, over cattle, over chickens on the same farm, it, it is really hard to do everything well. Um, uh, so we're that's the reason one of the reasons we've dropped chickens and where we're going to be cutting a bit more fat around the edge because 
I don't want to run five enterprises well. I want I want to run three of them exceptionally well. Um, so we're just, you know, I had no farming experience. I didn't know if I liked pigs or if I liked sheep. Uh, I do now and I know what I'm good at and I know what the market wants. So we're just tightening our belt and, and figuring that out. But in terms of can it be scaled, like there's landholders here in um, in, in greater Hume around me with um, very large going concerns that uh, practice holistic management, moving mobs of thousands of cattle into fresh pastures daily under holistic plan grazing and, you know, doing a tremendous job at it. And, you know, I, I feel a bit sorry for them that, you know, obviously it's nice for them to do that on their farm and they see the outcome of that, you know, but, and, and, but I feel sorry that they're not necessarily... Uh, rewarded at the marketplace for all all of their um you know great stewardship it's sort of some customers get really lucky at cold sometimes don't they and so that's that's part of like from your perspective you've got full control of the supply chain so you know you're not you're not kind of losing any potential profit through that right well i could not live with myself being a price taker like i just i just cannot reconcile with that way of doing business like i said my my family's been in business in australia ever since we got here and the and the idea of um, doing something and not knowing what your return is until it gets raffled off at the end of the season, I just find like inherently offensive. And I'm not having a crack at farmers that practice that way because they've got a skill set and they know how to manage that, and that's their experience, and they're off, operating at scale and all this sort of stuff. But I couldn't do it, um, mm. you know. So so we're merchants, you know. We're 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 salespeople, my family, and you know we we run the farm the way we want to run it. And we know what it costs us and we, we fix the margin on that. And it's our job to go beat the drum and sell it. I guess that's the difference as well, is that you've got a generational background in retail versus the average farmer's got a generational background in farming. And I've, I've seen a lot of farmers attempting to get into the direct to consumer space and attempting to effectively bring about a new sort of part of their business. That's a challenge if you've never done it before, understanding the customer and and understanding retail itself whereas you're, you're doing it backwards well not backwards you're doing it in the opposite way you're starting at the retail with a background in that and then just adding agriculture onto it yep and i and because i started small as a hobby and sold everything i grew you know i'm just gently well not gently i'm trying to aggressively lean into it but everything i grow i sell you know it's, it's i can understand the hang-ups for a farmer who's running you know ten thousand ewes and then thinking, let's sell some of our lambs direct to market and, and sitting down and thinking, well, I'm going to go to the farmer's market. I've got to drive to the abs with six in the trailer and go to the farmer's markets and stand there on a cold day and I'm going to make $800 revenue. Like the whole thing just sounds like a complete waste of time and it would be for them. Uh, but I've been able to, I don't have this big going concern that I had to prop up. I was able to you know start small and get going. I think, you know, if, if somebody wants to transition to it and their business is at scale, uh, they're going to have to lean into it at scale and uh, throw some equity behind it. Like I've bought businesses in the past and none of them came cheap or free. You know, if, if, if you want to build uh, something onto your business, it costs money. Like farmers will, you know, throw a million dollars at a tractor. If they want to diversify their business and start selling stuff direct to consumer, maybe they need to throw a million dollars at a small what, scale abattoir in a boning room on their farm. But what they also probably, okay, you've got that infrastructure investment, but what they actually probably need almost as equally importantly is probably to invest in somebody to run it for them sure because if you've, if you've been running a running a farm is very different to running a retail enterprise and you would need that retail experience in order to do that i'd imagine because it's not yeah, it's, look, it's, it's not simple 
yeah, like it's, it's it's not rocket science, but it's not simple. And, you know, to be fair, I spend um, 80% of my time uh, solving, processing uh, freight logistics and sales problems. About 20% of my headspace is dedicated towards farming. Um, on that, just on that, on that farming side, because I've seen on online you post a lot of stuff on there, and I wouldn't like. Are you doing heritage type breeds, or you're not doing the like in your cattle space at least? I know you're not just running your standard Black Angus, are you? All right, you're doing a different kind of setup there too, and I presume with your pigs or your sheep, you, it's a bit is an eclectic mix of of you know what you're running there, or how, how you how you kind of navigating that. Yeah, I've got a. I, I like things that are different. You know, I'm 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 drawn to things that are a little bit uh, out of the box naturally, and that's that's across everything. Like I play guitar, and my favorite guitar is, was made in 1934. You know, I like old stuff or whatever. So when I got into livestock, I was just trading cattle. You know, when I first started, I was buying in um, yearlings at like 800 bucks, and that was giving me a really good margin. And then through COVID, those same trading animals were two and a half thousand dollars, and I had no margin left. So I thought, rightio, I'm going to start breeding. And I couldn't find a, a breed of animal that I liked breeding. You know, one of my biggest issues in my butchery is that all my animals are too heavy. And my butchers crack the shits and they walk out on me because they're like, I'm sending in these grass-finished shorthorn steers that are weighing 320 kilos on the hook. Beautiful, big, uh, marbled scotch steaks and everything on grass. But, you know, too big for the butchers, it hurts them. Um, and the equipment's not set up for it. So... I started looking around and I came across this African breed called Nguni, N-G-U-N-I. And I thought, well, they're little. And I had a look and, and they're colorful. And I got all these different spots and they got horns and, and like they were just fun looking. And I thought, well, I'm going to do a bit of research on these and incredibly fertile, incredibly hardy, thrive in drought conditions, um, you know, long living. You talk to Nguni breeders, you know, they've all got a paddock full of 15-year-old cows that they've had 14 calves after. And it just made a lot of sense to me. So I'm breeding in Goonie cattle now on my farm. I've got Damara sheep that I'm using a like a composite Aussie white style ram over just to put a bit of better fleshing on them. But I look at my landscapes, you know, I've traveled a lot. I've been to 50 countries. I've been to Africa twice. I look at our landscapes around here and I look at Africa and I see a lot of similarities in temperature, in rainfall. Um, all the African weeds or grasses or plants come over here and do really well. So we've got an African climate, an African landscape, African plant species, and we've put European animals into it. Um, so I've, you know, I've got these Nguni and Damara, like we don't use um, antibiotics. We don't drench. We don't use any pharmaceuticals on our animals. Um, so I really need an animal that can be easy doing. And, and, and I don't need an animal. Like I understand you can put an Angus, a beautiful bloodline Angus in the paddock and, uh, have a beautiful cropped paddock and with a lot of um, ME out there and really get it putting on pounds fast and meet the market. But I don't want to have to worry about all that fuss in, in the paddock. I just want to have whatever's growing is growing and I've got my grazing plan and the animal does well on what's already there, low input system. And what about your your pigs? What are you running with regard to pigs? So I buy in uh, eight-week wieners trained a hot wire from a from a fantastic pig farmer up at Cootamundra. His name are they uh, are they an Aus, like an Aussie wide or are they a different kind of a heritage uh, we, breed? Got, uh, Berkshire. He has Berkshires, Berkshires and right. Shires, and then he yeah. crosses the Berks and the Hamps quite a lot because Australian genetics are quite narrow. We don't have a huge yep. genetic base. So yeah, I've got black pigs, uh, which which again it sticks out. Like I drop my pigs off at the abattoir. I drop about a dozen a fortnight off there and. Uh, they're the only black pigs in the pen. You got all these big white ones, but the same thing. Like when I talked about what happened in America before, a lot of these pig sheds gave away all their white pigs to all the homesteaders. I'm watching all this on Facebook. All these homesteaders going, "Look at this! Isn't this great?" The abattoir gave us 30 pigs. 
And um, a month later, 20 of them are dead because they they can't handle the heat. They can't handle yeah, the sunburn. <laughs> you know, they're shed pigs. We're, we're outside. Mm. We need outside pigs. Yeah. So you're buying pigs, yeah? Have you, like you're obviously, you're, you're a processor, uh, effectively, or butcher. Did you manage to get advantage of any of those sort of cheap lambs over the last couple of months? Yeah, so when I first bought into sheep, I, the only reason I got into sheep was I kept getting asked for it. I didn't want to do sheep, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not set up for sheep, but I've, I kept getting asked by my consumers. You know, we eat a lot of it over here, and when I kept running the numbers on it, I kept looking at it, going like, "There's way too much money in sheep. I, I can't be missing out on this. I, it's, it's far more profitable than beef, as far as I'm concerned, especially with the way my business is set up." Um, and I bought some composite ewes that had just been joint and they were like 260 bucks each. This is, you know, when the prices were really pumping. And then when everything crashed recently, I, I, I put my uh, binoculars on and I went and had a good uh, suss around and I bought a heap of Damara ewes for 25 bucks a head and they all came with lambs at foot. I didn't even know they had lambs at foot. So I've dollar cost averaged my, um, my herd entry. Um, you know, I've been doing that a lot lately. I've been, I've been buying the dipper heap because it just made a lot of sense. With regards to that, you mentioned that you're getting the actual slaughtering process done and, and obviously then the carcass comes back. Have you had much issue in, with that custom kill operations? Is, is that getting harder to, to negotiate? Um, you know, I have heard some some discussions that, that with, you know, what's going on in abattoirs that it is becoming more difficult to, to arrange those custom kills for, for runs like what you're putting through. When I started, I had more options than I do now. So in, in three years, I've lost two two abattoirs that no longer support custom kills. They just do their own stuff. And the two abattoirs that I work with now uh, are fantastic. I've got a good relationship with them. You know, I give them the, the priorities they need in terms of bookkeeping and, you know, always stay on the good side of them. But it, it, is, it is the weakest link. Like I've got a reasonably vertically integrated business. And, you know, if one of these abattoirs, thought I was cutting the grass or didn't pay the bills on time or, or they were busy and wanted to focus on their own thing, you know, they could, they could turn me off pretty quick. So, you know, we'd, we'd make a comeback. We'd find an abattoir further afield and truck bigger lots and we'd make it happen, but it's the weak link. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking with a couple of local uh, businessmen at the moment that are, you know, um, established uh, farmers who are thinking about building uh, community abattoirs around the area. And, you know, I want to be involved in that because the industry, uh, needs it. One other thing I used to do in my butchery when I started, I put a butcher on and he used to work two days a week in the butchery, two days a week on the farm and a day a week in my bicycle shop building bicycles because I didn't have enough butchering work for him. And now I've got two full-time butchers and a, and a part-time backer. So to keep my butcher busy in the early days, I used to advertise, I do custom processing. So if you're the farmer down the road and you take your little organic lambs to the farmer's market, I'll cut it up for you and I'll put your logo on it and everything. I've stopped all that um, and for a range of reasons, but one of the a big consideration as to why I stopped that would be that the farmers would have to book the animals in at the abattoir under my account. So they ring up the abs and go, I'm going to book in four bodies of beef or 20 lambs, whatever it might be on Wednesday. And then they turn up on a Tuesday or a Thursday with a different amount of animals. And it made me look bad because it was on my account yeah. and it was training my relationship with the abattoir. So unfortunately, you know, because these producers couldn't organize themselves, they've all had to go and sort out their enterprises elsewhere. So you got you got the farm operation, you got the bike store, you got the cafe there, you've got three kids, you're playing guitar, um, you're managing, you know, kind of multiple businesses to a degree in terms I was, of I was different gonna, structures. I was, I was gonna say <laughs> almost as busy as us. 
<laughs> well, I did like I did like the idea of the guitar. Speaking of different musical instruments, one of us has picked up the banjo. You know, um, I won't I won't let you know which one it is, of course. But um, so there's a bit of a shared shared love there by the sound of things. But I mean, in all seriousness, where where do you get the time to devote in in, in 24 hours in the day? You know, how do you um how do you manage? Well, I just I just go to where the pressure points are, and the and the pressure points are either generally the newest enterprise or the areas that I'm trying to scale. So I'm yo like the, the bike shop. We've had that since 2011. We've got a um, very good management team in. I, we've got a full time bookkeeper, so I'm in there a couple of times a week, helping if if help's needed. If management needs help with a HR issue or a, or a, something complicated, but other apart from that, it's just like really doing management off reports. Uh, making those sorts of decisions, uh, I, I yo-yo between the farm and the butchery because as uh, as my demand grows, I need to produce more. So I go and spend three months at the farm ramping up production, but then the butchery can't handle it. So then I run back to the butchery and I improve those systems. You know, we've bootstrapped everything to date. I haven't, I haven't like come in and gone let's let's build a beautiful purpose-built thing because I didn't know what to build. So as we're going, we're upgrading this and that's breaking, and we're we're fixing it with duct tape and chewing gum and. Uh, we're just bootstrapping as we go. So I just sort of go uh, go with the flow, you know, wherever I'm needed. And I'm not fanatical about, uh, I'm not fanatical about micromanaging people. Like I said earlier, the, the, the whole reason, the whole the point of being a manager or a business owner is to hire people that are better than you. Now, mm-hmm. I had to realize that early on in my business career, like I thought I was, the, I was the best at everything. So I was doing 80, 90 hours a week, getting nowhere. Uh, but then you take a leap of faith and hire some good people. There's plenty of good people out there and let them do their job. Well, I'm just I'm just going to go on a side note here as well. One of the one of the big. Well, um, I'm, just, I'm just looking at the menu for the the cafe, and I think I would go definitely. I'm I'm getting attracted by those tallow fries. Like, there's nothing better than chips oh. cooked in tallow. Sure. Yeah. Well, we don't use any seed oils in our restaurant because. Um, you know, we just don't think that most of them are fit for human consumption. So we run the whole grill off butter and tallow and lard. Can't go wrong with tallow All our listeners who are growing canola. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm just going to say. Andrew, be careful of some of your canola clients. Um, yeah, Look, I think there's a great market for it. They should just they well, should just use it as engine lubricant like they used to. <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that on, on social media. What I was going to ask you about, because you mentioned, you, I think you said the staff level there, some, about 40 staff you're saying there now. Um, and one of the big pressure points through COVID and even beyond, you know, since that has been getting access to decent quality staff. Andrew and I actually owned a piggery, a grow-out facility um, near Bendigo for, what, four years, Andrew? Um, and, and obviously that was, that, was, that was a similar scenario where we were, you know, off-site trying to manage um, with another one other counterparty. So it was a three-way kind of ownership. Um, but four, even... Four, 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 right? Four, sorry, yes. But um, one one very silent partner. Um, but like what, trying... And, and, we, and one very fucking loud one. <laughs> By loud, do you mean annoying? Um <laughs> What I was getting back to was that our biggest our biggest stress point with that, other than one of the partners, was um was the getting labour. Like we had a manager there and labourers and stuff, but it was an absolute nightmare. And COVID made it even worse. And that was part of our decision to 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 offload. That was just that the labour issue was becoming unworkable. And that was only three or four staff, you know, at the, at the most. 
that we you know had how do you how did you how have you been able to manage with all these different enterprises and all these different staff um problems well you know the number one uh management difficulty in any business you talk to any business owner across industry across time is labor you know managing labor um and we we're increasingly moving into a marketplace where um, workers have more and more rights like a good friend of mine uh almost lost his farm business because one of his staff got pregnant and had all these pregnancy complications and he was carrying the bill for the whole thing you know so there's a lot to um consider there I've, i've just I've done really well at hiring managers. I, I just have really good managers that look after that second level. You know, I'm approachable. I, I'm in the shops. I don't mind um, who wants what off me, but I really just try to find managers who believe in our vision. Like we're a family-owned business. Um, we we believe in, uh, you know, big, big healthy families. We, you know, we're, we're family first. We believe in having a profit. We believe in treating animals well, treating customers well, like all these sorts of things. And if you can, there's lots of people out there that want to work in a place that has a bit of a, uh, a bit of a value and, and a bit of integrity. So you just have to worry about your management class. You know, every, everything else under that will trickle down. But on the farm, interestingly, I put a job ad up only a couple of weeks ago. I wanted a farm manager. Now, farm chores for us is about three hours a day to look after everything we've got. And then the rest of the time. Oops. Oh, we've lost him. It was, um, this is a first for us, isn't it? The uh, guest dropping off. Yeah. We'll have to just talk amongst ourselves for a bit. I'm not sure how it works, Alex. I don't know if the audio file will work. Yeah. Oh well, this is news. So anyway, but I mean, it's an interesting concept. What he, what he, what he's kind of running there. It's 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 incredibly entrepreneurial, really. Like uh, to you know to have, and the way it's grown, it's it's one of those. Um, it sounds like it's an operation that's been quite organic in even how it's grown, and not organic from the sense of no pesticides. I mean, organic in the sense that it's just kind well, of organic growth. You know, without, yeah, you know, it's good. I think it's interesting. I think retail is extremely hard like that's probably one of the experiences that has struck me most about being back in scotland for a month yeah yeah is well first of all the price of everything has gone absolutely crazy everything is double the price that was two years ago mm. at least beers 60 70 percent higher than it was two years ago but <clears throat> the number of retailers have shut down like the number of of you know shops in the high street that are boarded up and closed it's, it's just crazy. But then you look at it, <clears throat> I read a report the other day saying that, you know, you've got to pay local rates. Mm. An online retailer doesn't. So I reckon we probably just close it there, Matt. Because well, it doesn't look like he's coming back on. And yeah, I was, just tr- I was just trying to send him a message to see, yeah. Because I think, uh, but, well, you can maybe pretend you're Jacob and, and you can the outro well we can try we can try and um estimate what he was about to say around that 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 labor side it sounded as though you're just saying that get good managers in place and the rest flows from there and i guess having people so maybe, having so, pe- so maybe we need a manager someone to manage us yeah probably not about it <laughs> i'm not sure i'm not sure if we could afford the, someone's wage to have to look after us it'd be a significant Pay that would or, be required, or, or or pay for the uh, the medical bills afterwards. 
after, the, after, the, um... after they require shed loads of therapy. I think what Jacob yeah. was going to say was, uh, you know, thanks very much for, for having me on, guys. It was one of the best experiences of my life. It's something that I've looked forward to for a long time. And, and to finally get on the Agriculture's podcast is not just a not just a goal of the year, but just, just a life goal. So thanks for having me, guys. Uh, you know, I'll send you some packets of meat in in the coming weeks. Um, you know, and uh, and yeah, it was it was fantastic. And 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 we'll shortly get some black pudding in the store, so you can access it twenty four seven. That's probably what he's going to say. <laughs> that's that's what I, 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 I was think, saying. I well, I, I think the message around his staff was sounding like you just get staff that sound like they want to be doing what you're doing and have got some interest in, you know, being part of whatever he's uh, building there, which sounds, it's, look, it's a, it's a unique idea and it's certainly interesting, but it was, it was great to have him on. Like I said, it doesn't look like he's coming back. Maybe there's been a, uh, an issue up there on the border and the, you know, the internet's collapsed or something. So we might have to call in. Maybe, maybe we can get him back for another chat further down the track. No worries. Um, so Andrew, I'll see you when you've got nothing on. Ciao for now. <laughs>